Amen. Let us turn our confessional reading this evening, Lord's Day 27, the last two question and answers. As we zoomed in on question and answer 72 last Sunday evening, we'll now take the rest of the Lord's Day 73 and 74. That's page 229 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book. Lord's Day 27, question 73, and then uh, 74. Let's begin with 73. I'll ask the question. Let's together say the answer. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. But more importantly, he wants to assure us by his divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Question 74. Should infants also be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. This confession we hold in common. Let us turn now to Leviticus Chapter 16, the central ceremony of the Old Testament Levitical law, the Day of Atonement. We're not going to get into all of the details of the Day of Atonement by any means, but we are going to read the final verses, 29 to 34, and we're going to focus on the promise of salvation the promise of salvation which is declared to the whole nation, young and old and in between. And so we begin reading at verse 29 and we'll read through verse 34. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning at verse 29, page 122 in the Blue Bibles. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. 
and the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So far the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the sacraments and the signs for God's people, both the many Old Testament signs and ceremonies and the two New Testament signs and ceremonies are related to the promise of the forgiveness of sins. And tied to them is a declaration of forgiveness. In the Old Testament, that was sometimes individual. I think of Leviticus 4 and 5 and 6 focused on individual sacrifices where individuals would come. And in the New Testament, we have one sign which is focused on on individuals instead of on the, the whole body as much. But there are also signs in the New Testament. It's the sign of incorporation, both for young and old, the sign of baptism. In the Old Testament, it was a number of things, including the Day of Atonement, which was very clearly not an individual sacrifice. This was the Day of Atonement, the day when the whole nation heard the promise, the declaration, your sins are forgiven. And so when we take God's signs and ceremonies, and some of them are, are for individuals, some are for the whole community, no matter what their age, when we take these signs and ceremonies and when we take the declaration of promise which comes with them, what do we say to this? Why is there a declaration of the promise of salvation when not every member of the Old Testament nation of Israel was truly saved? When not every member of the visible church is saved. Why do we have this declaration? Your sins are forgiven. What does it mean? How should we consider it? Should the New Testament people of God continue to speak with this kind of language? Brothers and sisters, these are the things we consider tonight as we reflect on the truth that God's gracious Sacramental promise is declared to his people, to all of his people. And we look at the promise of forgiveness shown and taught, and then at the promise of forgiveness declared and applied. In the synagogue, there is an ancient practice, we don't know exactly when it started, of teaching children about one book of the Bible before any other. And that book is the book of Leviticus. We don't know exactly when this practice started. 
but it may well have started long before the birth of the Messiah. It may very well be that the first book of the Bible that Jesus was instructed in as a child was the book of Leviticus. Why begin with Leviticus? Historical narrative seems to be a good place to start. Children can begin to grab hold of the history of salvation. They can hear the history of God's people and there are things there which are easier to grab onto. Why the book of Leviticus? Well, brothers and sisters, one of the uh, reasons which has been offered and, and may be an explanation of when this very ancient practice began, one of the explanations given is that the nation of Israel began to do this after the destruction of the second temple so that even though the temple no longer existed, from a very young age, everyone would be reminded of these ceremonies and symbols and what they mean and the declarations that go with them. That's one explanation. Another uh, explanation or answer, and this gets at some some we might say more practical reasons, comes from the Reformed professor, uh, Dr. Philip Kaiser, and I'm going to read this quote, though it's a little bit longer. He says of the book of Leviticus, quote, I think adults are much more intimidated than the, by this book than children are. Even though children can say, you, when they read about blood, cutting apart animals, leaky body fluids, where to go to the bathroom, etc., they are still curious about it, and it is a very visual book. It is filled with pictures of sin and of Jesus and of holiness. This book grounded children in the gospel in a very concrete way that they could not forget. Every day they were surrounded by symbols that reminded them that they were sinners in need of a Savior who could apply His grace to their lives. End of quote. Certainly, on the Day of Atonement, there was a declaration of promise that went out to all the people, to the whole assembly. And on the Day of Atonement, which is the high day of the Levitical sacrifices and ceremonies, it is true there were some things which were specific to the priests, including this is the one day that only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. It was also a day that had many things which emphasized the whole nation. There's at least three things that emphasized the whole nation in very concrete and visible ways on the Day of Atonement. The first one is, is the goat who was sent out into the wilderness. That was, that was not hidden in the Holy of Holies for only the high priest. That was something which everyone would see. And if we think in terms of the first days of atonement, when the whole nation was gathered, three in each cardinal direction of the compass around the tabernacle, the goat, the scapegoat that was sent out, the, the, um, the goat sent out into the wilderness, literally had to walk through the tents of the people of all ages. There's the goat walking out into the wilderness, symbolically carrying away the sins of the people. And so when one of the children of Israel would see the goat walking past their family's tent, the child could say to his parents, why is that goat walking out into the wilderness? 
And the parents, the faithful parents, could say, that goat is carrying away our sins. Verse 22. And when the nation was called to a Sabbath, a Sabbath rest, this is part of the this is part of the Day of Atonement. It was that it was a special Sabbath day. Whether it fell on a weekly Sabbath or not, it was a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And so you had no work. You had a Sabbath rest. And what is Sabbath rest? It's something which very visibly all of the people of all ages can see. This day is different. We are treating this day differently. And so when a child in a family of Israel would ask his parents, why are we not working today? The parents can say, because we are to rest in the Lord. And people of God, certainly parents, can still teach these same lessons about the New Testament Sabbath. It's a very visible thing. We do not work in the same way on the Sabbath. Why do we not work today? Because God has commanded us not to work today and this is the New Testament Sabbath. We now celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday because that is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. We remember every week that Jesus rose from the grave. Maybe a good way to say it to our children would be this. The incarnation, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in a special way once a year. And that's appropriate. But we celebrate the resurrection that Jesus up from the grave, he arose every Sunday. Every Sunday. A third way that the Day of Atonement incorporated the whole people of God very visibly is that it was the only day in the Old Testament ceremonies that was a national day of fasting. And this is, it is tied to a Hebrew word that's a little bit difficult. We see it twice in our text. It's the word afflict yourselves. We see it in verse 29 and again in verse 31. Almost certainly uh, that, is, that is a word that includes fasting. Fasting. It's a day of fasting. So this is maybe not every single individual, but everybody except for the very old, the very weak, and the very young can participate in a once annual national day of fasting. And we can picture a child in Israel who is just old enough to participate in the national fast saying, Mommy, Daddy, why are we not eating today? And it's an opportunity for the parents to say, because we must know that we need everything from God. And we're not eating today to remember that we must trust in God for everything. And fasting has more symbols than that tied to it. In Samuel, it's tied to the repentance of sins. There's more than one way for a faithful parent to answer that question. And so on this Day of Atonement, a day which is undoubtedly for the whole nation and includes 
practices which would incorporate the whole nation, people of every age, in very visible age, that every two, three, four, five-year-old in the nation should have noticed the whole nation. Here's the promise declared. Your sins are forgiven. That's where the Day of Atonement culminates in. It's a declaration of forgiveness. It's the promise of forgiveness for the whole nation. Certainly, uh, brothers and sisters, one of the great purposes of the people of God is to teach the truth of who God is and what God has done from one generation to the next. And our first and second points are blurring together a little bit here in the middle. But I want to go to one Old Testament text and one New Testament text. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. The uh, context is a little bit unusual, but the content is very clear. It appears to be Jesus or God speaking to his angels about Abraham. And the context is a little unusual, but the content is very clear. And God says in Genesis 18, verse 19, For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. The, the teaching of children is at the heart of the Christian calling for those who have parents. Ephesians chapter 6, which is, of course, a letter to the church, and then different subgroups within the church are specifically identified, wives and husbands in the verses before, uh, bond servants and masters in the verses after, and children and parents in between, specifically children in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And we might say, why does the New Testament speak about the promise of the land? What does that have to do with us? Hebrews chapter 11 answers that question. What ultimately is the promise that Abraham was waiting for by faith? Hebrews 11 verse 10. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Ultimately, the promise to Abraham is not the promised land of Israel is the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. This is the commandment that comes with a promise. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That promise is something we must teach to our children, even declare to our children, even as that promise must be embraced by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And faith is a key word in the middle of question and answer 74. Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin 
through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. The promise is declared old and new. It's more explicitly clear that the promise of salvation is declared to the whole assembly in the old, partly because the Old Testament is longer. But the promise is declared to all of God's people, Old and New Testament, even as it is always true, Old and New Testament, that it must be embraced by faith. Now, this is our second point. Our, our points uh, bled into each other a little bit tonight. But now here is our second point. Who is the one we must trust in by faith? Well, we don't just need Hebrews 11. We need Hebrews 10. Because Hebrews chapter 10 and the chapter before it speak about the Old Testament signs and ceremonies, even especially the Day of Atonement. And we'll look at just two key verses from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. So now our signs and ceremonies are different. There's not any more spilling of blood. Now we look back, even as all of those Old Testament ceremonies were looking forward. It's not just a ceremonial declaration in Leviticus 16. It's not just your ceremonial ceremonially clean. It's a promise of salvation. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because when received by faith, it's not about the bulls and goats. It's about the one whom all the ceremonies either look forward to or look back on. Jesus Christ and his once for all sacrifice. Now one more text. And then we'll get into a series of specific applications. One more key text is Isaiah chapter 58. And Isaiah chapter 58 does not use the exact words days of atonement, but uh, there's wide agreement that the day of atonement is specifically what the prophet is speaking about, the only national fast day. And there's much here about fasting. And what's going on in Isaiah 58 verse 3 to 5? It's a reminder that these promises, these great promises, and the one whom they look forward to, they must be received by faith. The fast itself does nothing. Isaiah 58 verses 3 to 5. We have fasted and you see it not, the people say to God. Why have, you, why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself. So, brothers and sisters, it was clear in the Old Testament that that Day of Atonement, 
there needed to be true humility and faith. Otherwise, it was not a fast that accomplished anything. But the application which follows is not, well, since it must be received by faith, therefore we shouldn't have the declaration of promise. That is not the application. No, how God has chosen to speak to us. The beginning of question and answer 73. God has good reason for these words. The way that God has chosen to speak to us, the promise declared to all of God's people, young and old, should be declared. There is a promise of salvation for you, for God's people, young and old. You can think of Romans 6 again. When there is unbelief, for those who have that declaration and the signs and the and Romans six is especially about circumcision, what what do we say? Is is God to be blamed? No, God is faithful. God is faithful. And the fact that the signs and ceremonies may be rejected does not mean that the declaration should not be made. So now we're going to we're going to look at five applications and this is basically the rest of our sermon. Five reasons why we should hear the declaration of promise. Your sins, people of God, are forgiven. Why are five reasons we need to hear this? Number one, for the assurance of faith for those who doubt. It is true that some have presumed upon the promises of God. But it is also true that there are those who doubt. Hear the promise of salvation. Hear God's gracious word. And know that by faith you are saved. Why then does the Holy Spirit, question and answer 73, call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? What's the more important reason that the Catechism gives? But more importantly, he wants to assure us. The first reason we need the declaration of promise is for the assurance for God's doubting people. And because we are weak, but He is strong, all of us will doubt at some level. Hear the declaration of promise. Second,
We need to hear the declaration of promise to comfort the people of God on this earth upon the death of youths and infants. We need to hear the declaration of promise to all God's people, young and old, to be comforted when God's covenant youths are taken away before they ever reach an age of strength. This is is a wide-reaching application. Consider Canons of Dort, Article 117. The salvation of deceased infants of believers. Since we must make judgments about God's will from His Word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but by virtue of the gracious covenant in which they together with their parents are included. Godly parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in infancy. And When that was written, brothers and sisters, and in a century and more that followed, that was 50% of the people of God. You either died in infancy or in young childhood years 50% of the time. Now, by God's grace, those who are born often live to years of of strength and, and health and adulthood. But even today, even with many medical advancements, there's almost nothing that can be done inside the womb. And we continue to lose covenant children, especially the very weakest and smallest. What do we say to this? the declaration of promise on the Day of Atonement and the declaration of promise that we have for all of God's people declared especially plainly in the New Testament sign of baptism, that is for all of God's people, even to the very smallest. And God has often populated heaven by the death of covenant little ones. We need to hear the declaration of promise spoken to all of God's people. And to know that God has a claim on those little ones. Third, We need to hear the declaration of promise of salvation as a reminder of the way in which covenant children should be raised. 
And this relates back to our first point then. Let it be said again, we should not presume salvation. Look at those important words in the middle of question answer 74. And the Holy Spirit who works faith, there must be faith, but our covenant youths should hear hear the declaration of the promise of salvation, even as they should also be taught more and more as they grow older and older and more and more mature about what repentance means and the essential nature of it. Let's use the song, Jesus Loves Me, to think about this application. Should children sing that song? Yes, they should. Now, is it true that that song could be abused? And a family and a a church might have an emphasis that leads to uh, abuse. Well, it's true that that could be abused. It's true that the declaration of promise on the Day of Atonement could be abused. But because something might be abused by God's covenant people does not mean it shouldn't be used. We sing that song even as we should carefully teach the meaning of lines like, I am weak, but he is strong, so that youths grow up with a deeper and deeper understanding of even that specific line. Therefore, question answer 74, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too, infants, should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. You know, on the on the Sabbath of Sabbaths, the Day of Atonement, it's true that even sojourners were included in one part of it, namely the Sabbath rest, but that's because Sabbath rest should apply to everybody. It's not only us, it's the fact that we don't make servants work either. We don't make the people around us work either. But the promise of salvation was for God's people. And for anybody who came into God's people, like a Rahab or a Ruth, by faith. The promise of salvation is for all of God's people. And it distinguishes God's people from the rest of the world. We do not raise our children without that distinction. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Fourth, God's promises to his covenant people declared to God's church remind us that even when one would wander away from the covenant community, there's still a claim upon them and there's still a promise that we can pray for them that we cannot pray in the same way for everyone else. Psalm 147. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Fifth. We should hear the declaration of promise to all of God's people to remind us that we are not just individuals. So here in a family-focused sermon is an application for each and every one of us. And we need to hear this application in our very individualistic age. 
If anything, the nation of Israel was tempted because of the attitudes of the day to overemphasize the community as a whole. If anything, we are tempted in our very individualistic culture and mindset to overemphasize individualness. But hearing the declaration, there there were sacrifices, you know, you you could there were sacrifices, Leviticus 4, 5, 6, where you commit a specific sin and you say, I must confess this sin and you go individually to the priests and there's sacrifices for that as well. But then there was the Day of Atonement where the sacrifice is for everyone and everything. You have to, you have to purify the temple too because the temple is not what saves you. Everything has to be purified on the Day of Atonement. The whole people of God And it emphasizes that we are not just individuals. We are called to be the body of Christ together. We are called to be the church of Christ, the family of God. We are not saved in to be in isolation, even as each person must have personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so, for themselves, for the teaching of children, for us, for many reasons, let us hear the declaration of promise. God saves his people. You are God's people. You are his church. The Sabbath observance, the fasting, the bowls, the goats, now the water and the bread, they do not actually take away sins, but they are tied to the promise of forgiveness. All of them pointing to our one Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray.